Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Build St. Louis, the brand new podcast that captures the very heartbeat of construction and development. And we are delighted in this episode to welcome Jennifer A. Beckage. Jennifer's the founder and managing director of the Beckage firm, and they are a boutique data security and privacy law firm. And I understand you're also women and veteran owned. And Jennifer, we're delighted to have you with us today. Thanks for being on Build St. Louis. Thank you, Carrie. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Well, let's just dive right into our episode for today. And I titled it, working title of, Is Your Firm Protected Against a Cyber Attack? And I think that we can't get this message out enough, especially to those in the built environment and real estate whose work takes them out of the office more than not. I'm excited about what you're going to share to help all of us in the construction and development industry just be better protected with our data and everything that goes along with that. The first question I had, Jennifer, for you was, if you could share with us why construction companies others operating in the built environment, developers as well, are particularly and uniquely vulnerable to cyber attacks. I'd love to know that. Erin, maybe a little background will help. I think when most people think about data breaches and cyber attacks, they think about personal information. And we may remember the first big data breaches were in the healthcare space and credit cards and other fields that really are holding on to a lot of consumer personal information. These industries in construction and development and real estate, I think for a long time thought, well, it's not really going to happen to me. I don't have any personal information. Well, first of all, you do have employees, so you probably do have some personal information. But I understand most of your business is not consumer-oriented. The threat actors, however, don't care because we've moved past personal information and there's other data that threat actors are interested in. So if you're in the construction field, it may be the projects you're working on and for what entities you're working with, the tenants that will be in the buildings, the infrastructure that's set up. So there's interesting data. There's also a huge threat to this industry concerning fraudulent wire transfers. We have a lot of money that's exchanging hands and often multiple parties involved in each transaction. The threat actors can break in to your email, and then from that, they start sending out invoices that look like yours, but divert the payments to go to the threat actor instead of the entity that's supposed to receive the money. And this is one of the biggest threats that we see. Wow. Just that alone, when I first asked you, you're gracious enough to be on the podcast, I was thinking in my mind, I didn't even think about the money changing hands and the fraudulent wire activity. I thought more about the proprietary nature of building plans with all this building information modeling details and things people are sending out. But tell us a little bit more about what happens if you could walk us through, I'm sure there's no typical in your business, but example of a fraudulent wire transfer, how that could even happen and who might unwillingly be playing a part in exposing the company to that information? Great question. I mean, in our experience at the Beckage firm, threat actors either want data or they want money. So if they're not interested in your proprietary systems and who your tenants are and the projects you're working on, it's going to come down to dollars. And they can do that two different ways, primarily fraudulent wire transfers and ransomware. So you're asking about fraudulent wire transfers because that's probably the largest threat that we see in this industry currently. So what happens if in your organization you're using email and you may have a corporate email or we still see a lot of folks using 
web-based email platforms like Gmail and others, a user to sign into their email has a username and password. And hopefully they've got another way that they're authenticating into that account that's called multi-factor authentication. You might have to provide additional information, a text on your phone, or answer some additional questions to be able to get into your email account. If that password is weak, if you don't have that multi-factor authentication, a threat actor can get into your email. So they sign in just like they're you. And what they do is they start sending invoices out that look just like your invoices. And they know what they look like because they're in your email. And what they do is they change the bank routing information to go to the threat actor's account. Now, you may say, well, I would probably see this going on in my email, but that's not the case. The threat actors can hide in your email. They can send and receive emails without the user even knowing it, unless they had the right technical tools to be able to discover it. And even then, it's very difficult. So once this wire payment goes elsewhere, it is critical for the organization to act very fast. We have banks involved and usually a lot of dollars involved. So at the Beckage Firm, we've got a 24-7 incident response line and an incident response email. And we find that in the matters that we can jump on as fast as possible, we can try to recover that money back. But if you wait too long, it may be difficult or impossible to do so. Gosh, that just blows my mind. In terms of them changing bank routing numbers and account numbers, is it just something that's so subtle that even if you feel like if you're the accounts receivable person or the controller, whoever's in charge of that, that even that person might not notice that it's different? Is it like maybe those goofy emails we receive where there's one letter different, you know, in the URL or how subtle are those fraudulent changes, I guess? The fraudulent actor can set up an account at your same bank. So it really comes down to the numbers looking different. And this is why it's really important, especially in real estate transactions or anytime we're wiring large sums of money. When you go to pay a bill and you have received an email that says, oh, our bank information's changed. I would contact who sent that email and don't just reply to the email because that's probably the threat actor's account or their email. So you're going to want to go back to the last phone number that you had for that individual and call them. Get on the phone. And I know we're in a technical world nowadays, but getting on the phone is one of the best ways to authenticate these wires before they're made. Great advice. You mentioned the two key categories, the fraudulent wire transfers, Jennifer, and the ransomware. Tell us about the ransomware to make sure that those of us understand that term and what that breach looks like. So ransomware really comes down to a threat actor getting into your system and encrypting your data, some or all of it. When they encrypt your data, they basically make it unreadable and unusable to you. So what the threat actor does is they encrypt this information and then they provide a note that says, we will help you or we will provide information so that you can unencrypt your information, but you're going to have to pay us a fee for this. And that's a ransomware. Many times the threat actor has already been in your system, taken the data they wanted, maybe even did a fraudulent wire transfer, and the ransomware gets some icing on the cake. We already got some money. We did what we wanted to do, but why not see if we can extort this entity for additional money? 
sometimes a ransomware is just deployed on its own with no other threat occurring to the organization. So they can come in a variety of different formats. Ransomware is so easy to deploy nowadays. They have ransomware as a service. You don't even need technical knowledge to de deploy these. So you could have a disloyal employee, a competitor. It doesn't have to be some state-sponsored actor in some foreign country. These are threats that can happen within the United States and maybe even by individuals that you may even know. Unfortunately, however, it's very difficult to track down and seek restitution from the threat actors. With the use of technology, they can really hide behind a lot of things so that it's difficult to identify who did it. Wow, that's beyond distressing to learn that. And I never thought about, you know, potentially these threat actors. I thought of exactly who you said. I sort of pipecast them as these evil group of techie people, you know, thousands of miles away. But it could be someone that was familiar with your own data and your system from working there. I guess it could be a current employee for that matter. That's right. scary stuff. No, I so, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you're fine. In that sense, you know, a disgruntled employee or competitor, they may not even try to seek money. It may be really just reputational harm. A lot in the construction industry use a lot of virtual construction programs. And if they can go in and tinker with some things, it could really cause catastrophic damage to the project when you've got many different parties relying on many different stages from the outset of the project to completion, that the few tweaks, a few wrong numbers, a few wrong directions can really have tremendous damage. Wow, so profound to learn. So contractors listening to this or real estate developers or brokers may be listening to this and saying, well, gosh, that's horrifying, Jennifer, but I'm good because our data's backed up because our IT person told us it was. Or just, you know, I'm putting myself in that spot. So thinking people are thinking they're good because they've taken maybe what are unknown to them or remedial steps that really aren't going to help them in this situation. What are the most important steps that are checklist, if you will, that a company can make sure they're complying with and fulfilling so that they're not calling you once the damage has already been done? Well, you mentioned one of them, and that's backup. And we've been saying this for years in this industry. If you have backup, real backup, then you don't need to worry about paying a ransom to unencrypt your data. You don't have to worry about data that's been destroyed because you can restore from that backup. Unfortunately, many organizations in this industry, in construction and real estate, they're relying on a third-party vendor for their backup. And like you said, we find a contract, we believe that they're keeping the backup. They've never tested it. They actually don't realize it's not a full backup. They don't realize it doesn't go back as far as they need it to be. So a really important thing is to have strong contracts with these third-party vendors. So at the Backage Firm, what we do is we work with those in this industry to develop the right terms in their contract to make sure that the entity does have the backup they need. And if they don't, or let's say it's the third party vendor's fault that this threat actor got into the system, there's a way for the entity to have some sort of restitution against that third party. Have them pay for the damages, have them pay for the expenses to restore. I mean, it could be significant harm that can occur. So backup is key. Again, it's usually with third parties and you're going to need some strong contracts for that. One of the best things that an entity can do it's to have some sort of multi-factor authentication on email. We've got a lot of folks involved, a lot of independent contractors, and again, many are using web-based email, and it's 
free. It is free. Wow. Start multi-factor authentication. Go to your settings right now in your email account, on your LinkedIn page, on your social media page, and there will be a button that you can click and it will say turn on two-factor authentication or it'll be called multi-factor authentication. Turn it on. It makes it so much harder for the threat actor to get into your email. And again, it doesn't cost you a dime. Wow. I feel like it's like, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like when you're saying this, it's the difference between me putting the locks on my front door in my house at night and having a security system. It just seems like it's another layer that why not do it? Right. Why not? And it's one of the best defenses today and technology is changing, but one of the best defenses today. The third thing is preparation. And I'm sure everyone's heard this. If they've ever read an article or listened you know, to any news story, it's all about preparation for a data security incident. You want to think about what you're going to do in a time of crisis. If you have children, I bet you know where the pediatric urgent care is near your home. It's the same for a data security incident. If something goes wrong, who are you going to call and how are you going to handle it? Because if you don't handle it the right way, the damages and expenses increase, the chance of significant reputational harm increases. Typically, and I've been in this space for a long time, typically when things happen, people want to tell everybody about it because they're looking for help. But in spreading the word, they may be spreading inaccurate information. They may be tipping off the threat actor on what they're doing to remediate the problem. And so they're never going to be able to get as a threat actor. So you want to go through what's called a tabletop exercise in our industry and just walk through, okay, if something happens, who are we going to call? How do we know what our legal obligations are? If we need to report to potentially impacted people, there's obligations to report to different governmental agencies at the state and potentially federal level. What are we going to do to get our systems back up and running. There's a lot of things that have to happen. And what are the proper communications? So come up with a plan, any plan. Any plan is better than no plan. Wow, those are great, three great tips for sure. In terms of insurance, is there any way, I mean, I would just imagine, I don't know that it'd be super costly, but if a company really wanted to protect itself, are there policies out there for companies in construction and development and other fields for, I guess, cyber attack insurance? Yes, yes, and yeah, there is cyber <laughs> insurance. Cyber insurance has become a little bit more expensive over the years. We have a hardened market because amount of threat and demand for ransomware have increased over the years. But there is cybersecurity insurance. We're a certified breach coach, which means that we're one of the few law firms in the country that works with insurance carriers on data security incidents. So I've worked with these carriers firsthand and they really do want to help. They're very strong policies. They pull together the right legal and technical teams that are experienced working on these matters to help the client out. If you're working to get cybersecurity insurance, my recommendation would be to really work with a broker that has experience in cybersecurity. It may not be the broker that you use for your general liability or your DNO policy. I hope so. But just make sure that they're very experienced in cybersecurity insurance policy matters because there's a lot of great policies out there that, again, can provide a lot of coverage. Pull together those teams that you need so that you can stand up and get back to work. Wow. It's such a sobering topic because it seems like it doesn't matter if you're the mom and pop contractor or if you're a global construction company or if you're the single shingle broker just getting deals done. If somebody gets in, it's really a predatory situation, isn't it? 
Yeah. And one of the things I tell clients to think about is, you know, what are your crown jewels? Is it your design, your financial information, your tenants, your, who your customers are, building access points, trade knowledge, employee data? Like, what are those things that you really need to protect and take steps to protect those? Who has access to them? Don't share passwords across multiple people in your organization. If people leave, terminate their access. Don't hold on to more data than you need to. Think about what your crown jewels are, and then you can take steps to best protect it. I like that metaphor. Makes a lot of sense to me. The only other question I had for you this morning, Jennifer, is I wondered if there's any way for our listeners to quantify every cyber attack and victim is different. But in terms of either what this is costing business on an annual basis in terms of successful data breaches and other things, or if there's an average cost or a range of what we're talking about in terms of just speaking to the monetary damage, I don't know how you'd quantify the data damage. Yeah, and reputational harm is hard to quantify. Now, if everyone knows that you've had an incident in your organization, are they really going to want you involved, especially on those sensitive projects? So it is hard to quantify, but here's a couple of things that go into that. One, do you have cybersecurity insurance? If not, a lot of this is going to come out of your pocket. There's cost to restoring your technical system. If that OT, if that's IT, whatever that might be, there's going to be some costs. You might need to get new servers. You may need to deploy different mailbox accounts and add new systems. There could be new vendors that need to be engaged to best protect your information. Second, Second is it is a fraudulent wire transfer. We're usually always talking about at least six figures, but threat actor is going to look for a big number. So it's six figures and up on those, and it could be multiple instances of that. You may not be able to get that back from the banks, especially if a lot of time has passed by. Third, ransomware. If you're subject to a ransomware, as I've been doing this for a really long time, and you know, ransomware demand used to be a lot smaller, but now we're seeing enormous demand. And if you don't have that money sitting around, and you don't have cyber insurance to maybe help make those payments, and you have to make that payment to unencrypt your data, or else you're on business because you have no data. Everything's gone. Right. I mean, it's, it's sort of the best the company type issue. So that's another factor that can drive up costs. And then you mentioned, you know, the reputational harm is so difficult to quantify, but what efforts do you need to do when it comes to public relations, handling media inquiries, all of those sorts of things we help clients with, but depending on the size of the organization and the harm that's occurred, that could take some additional, you know, marketing and PR dollars to help address those. Sure. And like you said, not a quick fix at all in terms of maintaining and preserving the company's reputation. I can't right. can't even imagine. We have just been delighted today to learn from Jennifer A. Beckage, who is the founder and managing director of the Beckage firm. And they are women-owned, they're veteran-owned, they're boutique data security and privacy law firm. We didn't even get into privacy. We'll have to talk to you another time on I that avenue of your services. What are the two, just to ask, uh, what are the two main or a couple of main pillars under privacy? Like for companies, what would you be doing? Yeah, a lot of it, privacy is not a concept that was really well settled, if you will, in the United States. And now it is. And it really contains addresses providing notice to individuals about your data collection practices 
and in some instances, obtaining their consent to process their information and then honoring any rights they may have to their data. So we're talking about individual data. So more information at thebeckagefirm.com. You can see some of our articles and events and a little bit more about data privacy. Always happy to answer any questions that anyone has. But yeah, the balance of data privacy and data security, it's very complex. You can't put your head in the sand about this anymore. So I'm really glad that you're having this podcast to address this timely topic. Thanks so much, Jennifer. And again, Jennifer A. Beckage, founder and managing director of the Beckage Firm. And we are delighted to learn from you. And I hope that you'll come back and see us again on Build St. Louis. Thank you so much. Thank you.